Well, let me uh, add my welcome to that given before by Stu and Santino. My name's uh, Mal York. Uh, I'm the, the new senior minister here. Uh, I feel like a bit of a collector's item at the moment uh, with lots of people coming up and uh, welcoming me and uh, introducing themselves to me. Uh, it is wonderful to be here and I want to start out by thanking uh, so many people for the way that they have welcomed us uh, here to the church, uh, to those who have given us hampers, those who have helped us unpack, uh, those who have cooked us meals. We are feeling very loved and we are feeling very welcome. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, and after three weeks of transition, we are finally here as I get to bring you God's word this morning. Uh, today we start a new series on the Psalms, which will just be a short series that will take us through to the beginning of term four, where we'll uh, look at the book of 2 Timothy. But the Psalms are a wonderful time, a uh, wonderful book to spend our time in. Um, any uh, uh, opportunity we have to jump into them, I'll take, because they're extremely applicable for us today. You see, the Psalms were written at the high point of the life of Israel. Uh, they were written mainly by King David, uh, but they were written by some other authors as well at a time when Israel had relatively good peace uh, from her enemies. Although, we, as we read through the Psalms, we'll see there still are some battles going on, some hardships that the writers are facing, but generally they're written at a time when God's relationship with Israel was very good. Uh, you may remember the story of the Bible before the Psalms. It goes something like this. God created the world and all that's in it. Out of creation, he chose for himself a people, the Israelites, to make himself known and to make his name known among the nations. Uh, they became enslaved in Egypt and called out to God to save them. So God rescued them from uh, slavery in Egypt. God brought them through the wilderness to a promised land, a land of their very own. Israel conquered the promised land and settled uh, and had a king uniting them as one nation. And so through many battles, uh, the kingdom of Israel has been consolidated with David as their king. Uh, Australian author Graham Goldsworthy sums uh, this up with the phrase, God's people living in, under God's rule in God's place. Uh, the first time we saw this was in the Garden of Eden, but now once again we see it uh, happening again. And what's important to note is that this comes after God's salvation. It comes after the Exodus where God showed how he could save the Israelites. And so the Psalms are in that sense a response to God's grace, a response to God's saving work. And it asks the following question among many others. What does it mean to live in this situation? What does it mean to live as God's people, under God's rule, in God's place, yet in a world that rejects God, in a world that is still full of sin? And so in many ways, the situation of the psalmist is not unlike us today. We too live as God's people under God's rule uh, and when, when we're found in Jesus Christ, which is, to keep the analogy going, in God's place. And so Psalm 1 is an excellent introduction to this whole book of the Psalms and also to this series. In many ways, it's a summary asking that question, how do God's people, both those who are righteous and those who are wicked, how do they fare under God's rule in God's place? Well, before we look further at the passage to see what it has to say about this, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come and look at your word. Help us to understand what it has to say. 
Help to speak to us by your spirit and help us to apply your word to our lives so as to change us and mold us to be more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first aspect of the passage we see is how the righteous live. Can you see there in verses 1 to 3? In fact, if you've got your Bibles open, it would be helpful as I refer to it throughout the talk. Uh, Verses 1 to 3 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever Whatever they do prospers. The passage starts out, Uh, by outlining what a righteous person does not do. They do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. They do not stand in the way of sinners. They do not sit in the seat of mockers. That is, the righteous one, the one who is blessed, does not identify themselves with those who are against God and against the way of God. Notice the activities that the psalmist speaks about. Walking standing or sitting, ways that you identify yourself with other people. Uh, If you walk with someone, it normally indicates that you're friends with them, uh, that you're the the same as when you sit with them or or stand with them. When you are, are with another person, you identify that you have a relationship with them more than often. Often when people go to parties, when they arrive, the first thing they do is look around and find who they know, and they go and stand and talk with them to identify themselves with them. In fact, it's not just parties, is it? It happens at church. When we go out for morning tea, we look. Who do we know? Who who can we talk to? People don't like to stand on their own. But nor will they go and stand with someone that they do not want to be identified with. And so the psalmist is saying, the blessed one, the righteous one, will not be identified with those who are wicked, will not be identified with those who are sinners, will not be identified with those who are mockers. But it's not just who they're identified with, is it? Have a look at the psalm. It's, it's the way that the people act. It's the, it's the counsel of the wicked. Uh, that is the advice of the wicked. It's the way of sinners, it, the way that the sinners live. It's the seat of the mockers, the, the assembly of the mockers or the, the dwelling place of the mockers. Notice that progression into wickedness. The advice of someone, following the way that they live, and then finally dwelling with them with those who are against God. It's often like that when someone falls away, isn't it? They hear what the wicked are up to and they partake in their ways and then they find themselves gathering with the wicked. However, this is not the way with the righteous one. Instead, the righteous one delights in the law of the Lord. Can you see that there? They meditate on it day and night. That is, the the righteous one is consumed with the law of the Lord thinking on it both night and day, delighting in what the law of the Lord says. Uh, By meditation, it means uh, that the law will, will pervade every aspect of this person's life. And the blessed one, the righteous one, is single minded about this. They're not caught up with the activities of the wicked around them because they know that they're a waste of time. But God's law is perfect and true. And the result of this is that they prosper. 
Now, the psalmist uses an illustration to prove his point. He likens a righteous one uh, to a tree by a riverside. Notice that the tree has an ample supply of water next to it. Now, I don't remember much from biology uh, back at school, but what I do remember is that plants need sunlight, soil, and water in order to grow. Water is a source of life for a tree. Without it, it will die. Uh, A few weeks ago, Heather and I were actually in Chile, and we went to the Atacama Desert, which is the second driest place uh, on on planet Earth after, after Antarctica. And when we were there, we came across a vineyard, a vineyard in a desert? Uh, it was also at uh, 2,500 metres altitude. We were stunned. Where does the water come from? It's the second driest place. But actually, the Andes Mountains are right next to the Atacama Desert, and there's plenty of snow melting, and uh, the water goes into the ground, and under the ground of the Atacama Desert, there is plenty of water which can actually feed uh, these vineyards. But the image that we see here in the passage is a tree with an abundant supply of water. And the psalmist says, this is what a person is like who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his word both day and night. As they meditate on the source of life, on God's word, it will result in growth and produce fruit. And God's word is that abundant supply of the source of life that we need. Now, for the believer, the fruit is not only seen in good and faithful works like we've already seen happening here through St. Andrews, but also as more people hear the good news of Jesus and put their trust in him. Those who focus on God's word as the source of life, those who meditate on it day and night, they will prosper in whatever they do. You see, a person who lives in God's place under God's rule and meditates on his law, will prosper in all that they do. Which poses a question for us, doesn't it? Are we like the righteous one in the passage? In whose way do we walk? Do we walk with the wicked or with the righteous? Are we producing fruit? Are we prospering? Well, the psalmist then looks at how the wicked live. Can you see there in the passage? Look with me at verses uh, 4 to 6. It says, Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You see, the, the passage goes on to say that the wicked are like the chaff that is blown by the wind. Now, chaff is the uh, cover over uh, a seed that is removed on the threshing floor. As the grain is tossed up into the air, the wind comes through and blows off the, uh, the chaff uh, so that the grain falls to the floor. It's a bit like husk that comes off a coffee machine when you roast it. As many of you uh, may know, I love to roast coffee. Uh, well, I used to love to roast coffee. I, I love to drink coffee now. But I used to roast coffee in a popcorn machine. Uh, When you do this, as the beans heat up in the coffee machine, uh, it sends out this this, uh, cloud of husk that just goes everywhere. It's sort of like it's snowing husk when you you roast coffee beans. Uh, And they're blown all around the place by the wind. And as I uh, read this description of the psalmist, in my mind is husk going everywhere and just floating everywhere. 
And the psalmist's point is this. The wicked are like this. They are lightweight. They, they are blown around because they don't have any real substance to themselves. They're like the husk off a, off a coffee bean. They do not do what the righteous do. Uh, they walk in the, in the counsel of the wicked and they're looking for different counsel. And I, I want to get that right counsel. They, they stand in the way of sinners because they listen to what they say. They find themselves gathering around with others in the assembly of the mockers. Why? Because they've got nothing firm to ground themselves in. The wicked don't have the law of the Lord. They have nothing firm to ground themselves in. While the law of the Lord is, uh, uh, the law of the Lord is like a river to the blessed, to the wicked they have no river. They have no source of life. And so what they do is they try and look for something that will help them to have meaning and purpose. They, they will try and look for something that, that gives them this source of life. And so they fill their lives with material possessions. They fill their, their lives with their jobs. They fill their lives with their children and, and think, think if they can find satisfaction in living through their children and giving their children the best, then that will help them. And they fill their lives with drugs and alcohol. They fill it with money. They fill it with false religion and mystic spirituality. And they fill it with a hedonistic lifestyle that in the end never satisfies. Sure, they convince themselves that they're happy as they look for the next thing to do. They convince themselves they're okay, but they're not grounded. From God's perspective, all the activities that they're involved in it looks like their husk coming off a coffee bean, flying around everywhere with no real purpose. None of these activities will help them. None of their activities will last. They don't prosper and they don't bear fruit. And so you see, we read in verse 5 the word therefore. Can you see it there? Therefore, as a result of what they're doing, as a result of the way that they are living, the wicked will not stand on the day of judgment. They will not stand when God's judgment comes. You see, there is a judgment coming. God will bring all people to account for how they have lived. And in the end, the activities of the wicked will not lead towards knowing God or his law. They will not lead to knowing his salvation. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? That there is a judgment coming. I don't know about you, but the more and more I speak to people in this world, they don't like the idea of being judged for what they do, for how they live their lives. Sure, if, if someone's really, really bad, you know, like Adolf Hitler or Stalin, yeah, they should be judged, but, but not me. I'm just an average Joe Blow. Uh, we all have this idea that somehow God will sit us down with a beer and tap us on the shoulder and with an Australian accent say, she'll be right, mate. So the best thing to do is to pretend, well, this judgment's not going to happen. But friends, what we find out from this psalm is at the end of the day, this will not work. This is why we need the law of the Lord. This is why we need to delight in it and meditate on it. Because it reminds us of God's truth. And we see here in verse 5 that God's truth is the wicked will not stand when that judgment day comes. You see, the day of judgment will show us for who we really are, whether we've lived according to the law of the Lord or whether we've lived secretly, living the way of the wicked. 
The wicked will never enter the assembly of the righteous. The wicked are left without hope. Their way leads to destruction. But for the righteous, the Lord watches over their way. And so it leads to the obvious question, doesn't it? Where do we fit? Where do we fit in this psalm? Are we the the righteous or are we the wicked? How will we fare on that day of judgment? Well, this is my final point for today. The reality is that most of us, as we read through this psalm, are probably thinking, I am so glad I'm one of those righteous people. (laughs) I don't know about those wicked people, but I'm glad I am one of those righteous people. But imagine if I did a survey and asked the following question. Put up your hand if you've never, ever walked with a wave of wicked. Don't don't do it. Don't put up your hand. Just (laughs) imagine it. Just think about it. Put up your hand if you've never, ever walked in the way of the wicked. Put up your hand if you've never, ever stood in the way of sinners. Put up your hand if you've never, ever sat in the company of mockers. Probably there'd be a variety of responses, but I'm sure if we're honest with ourselves, our answer would be, well, actually... I have. I I know that's my answer. But then if I was to ask, put up your hand if you delight always on the law of the Lord. Put up your hand if you meditate on it both day and night. Well, once again, probably there'd be a variety of responses, but I'm sure if we're honest, our answer would be, well, we do not. I, I know that would be my answer. In fact, as we read through this, we might want to identify ourselves as one of the righteous. But the more and more we read the characteristics of the righteous one, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not us, is it? We recognise we do not live the way of the righteous, according to this psalm. And so the words of Romans chapter 3, verse 23 ring true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve judgment, don't we? We all do not deserve to stand with the righteous. And if this psalm was all that we had, probably we'd need to pack up and go home. But the good news is that Romans 3 verse 23 doesn't stop there. In fact, it's not just the good news of Romans, but this is the great news of the gospel. In Romans chapter 3 verse 24, we read that all are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus gives us a way to be justified, to be seen by God as the righteous one, despite our wicked way of living. And it comes through the life, death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the redemption that he won for us. Through this, he paid the price for our sin, even though he himself had no sin. You see, Jesus is the source of life that we need. Jesus is God's word and as we feed on him like a tree feeds on the river as we read his word as we delight in him we will be able to stand on that judgment day but yet it's when we starve ourselves from Jesus this is when that progression of falling away starts doesn't it when we starve ourselves from Jesus and try and keep more in step with the world around us when we starve ourselves from Jesus and stand more with those of the world, when we starve ourselves from Jesus and end up sitting in the council and the assembly of the world around us, this is when we start to fall away. 
But what we learn from this psalm, friends, is we need to continue to delight in the source of life. We need to continue to delight in Jesus. We need to continue to meditate on his word because it's as we do this, we can have full assurance that when that judgment day comes, we can be found standing in the assembly of the righteous because Jesus is watching over us. Well, friends, let me conclude. Are you delighting in Jesus? Are you delighting in his law? Well, I want to say now that my task as the new senior minister here is to continue to point you to this source of life, to continue to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ, to pray for you, and to continue to remind you that listening to the clamor of the world around you, to, to stand with it, to, to hear the advice of the world around us, is not going to save us on Judgment Day, but only Jesus will. And to remind you to delight in him and his law more than anything else. And I want to challenge you. Are you bearing fruit? And to lift your eyes and to remind you of the coming eternity where, friends, we will live forever because what Jesus has done for us. This is my task and my prayer. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to delight in him. Help us to turn down the message of the wicked and to turn up the message of salvation. Help us to lift our eyes and be reminded of the coming judgment and how salvation is won in Jesus' name. And may, may this be the mark of the ministry of St. Andrews for many years to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mel, we have this thing at St Andrews where at the end of the sermon uh, we text in our questions and uh, we invite you to reflect on those a little bit more. Um, so we have a, a text here that says, uh, thank you for your talk. When Psalm 1 verse 3 talks of whatever they do prospers, how does this fit with the experience of life's events seeming like failure for some Christians? Yeah, sure, that's a really good question. I think it's talking about a, a spiritual prospering. And so we prosper in our relationship with God. We grow in our relationship with God. We, we, uh, uh, the New Testament calls it the knowledge of the truth. We grow in our knowledge of the truth. And that, uh, that then affects how we live, uh, affects our actions, affects our conversations with people. Uh, I think we prosper in that way. But ultimately, we don't prosper until uh, eternity comes. Uh, Peter also talks, 1 Peter also talks about building a treasure in heaven. Uh, often when we hear that word prosper, we think, oh, that prosper here and now. But actually, there's a prospering that, uh, that this psalm is talking about as well that is, is yet to come uh, after Judgment Day, uh, where we will have uh, an inheritance that will never spoil, fate, or perish. Better than, better than anything we'll find in this earth. Right. Here's another one. How do the Psalms work to form a Christian person's character? Yeah, uh, I think uh, like a river helps to uh, grow a tree, the Psalms are God's word that helps uh, a lot of aspects of our lives uh, because the experience of the Psalmists are very similar to experiences that we go through. And so often when we're in times of despair, come to the Psalms and see how the psalmist copes with times of despair and they can help us through. Uh, and so uh, in terms of fo forming our character from there, uh, they inform us how to live uh, a Christian way as we're living as God's people uh, in God's place under God's rule.
Thank you. Thanks very much, Mel. Uh, we're now going to pray together, and uh, so I invite you to uh, get ready for that. Thanks, Alison.